cold open question of the day, my man, Brendan Clean. We had, I think, a good conversation last episode coming off the heels of the All-Star game about the faces of the league, players caring what that means, and, and gen- I think broadly generating fan interest in the league to some degree. So if you were to pick a player right now to show to your friend who's interested in basketball, interested in the NBA, but you're trying to get them more invested in a player and, and maybe thus the league, who would you who would you send your player to? What YouTube rabbit hole are you sending your friend down? I'm usually not this way, but I think in this case I kind of have to be a homer and say Devin Booker. Make the case. I feel like Book is he's a throwback player, right? I think that he stylistically, if you know you like basketball, you're gonna like his game. And he has, you know, the Nike shoe that just came out. He's kind of out there publicly involved in different things, buddies with Drake, going to different games, pretty active on social media enough. I think if the Suns can maybe, you know, get a little further in the playoffs, be a a mainstay deep in, you know, conference finals, finals every year for the rest of his prime, he's going to have as good a, a shot as anybody to be kind of on that list of guys we think of as, hey, they're drawing people in. I like that answer. I mine came down to three for me. The two that I didn't pick, well, really four. Three that I didn't pick and one that I did pick. And and the one that I did pick, I'm gonna I'm waiting I'm gonna expect some pushback, but that's okay. Giannis was on my list because he's just a good personality. He does in depth uh, interviews with his local media represent local media, which one came out on Wednesdays before we recorded this. I had Luca on that list because Luca is just an absurdly fun player. And then I had Jokic because he's going to be around for a long time in a big way. I think you could go Wembenyama in some other ways. My answer is Tyrese Halliburton because I think he's like video game fun, but he also has a personality that I think people can just buy into. And he doesn't take himself too seriously, but he takes the game seriously at the same time. I don't think there's been a more fun player game to game this year, Brendan, than Tyrese Halliburton. Like I like the fa- like it, the he's top 5 fun to f- like most fun. Can you at least can you Yeah, can you say I that? think since the NBA Cup he's been pretty hurt and, and inconsistent, but I, I but I hear you. You you had me for 2 months, but unfortunately there's been threw, like 6 weeks he, since then. He also just threw the ball off the backboard and then did an assist off fit. Like I'm sorry, like and mm. also just the personality does matter here. Like there are guys mm. you could pick and would have been on this list. I think he would have been a reasonable case, but Ant's out here being like the All-Star games like not serious. Like I kind of just want to So guy liking the All-Star game is a prerequisite for this. I'm, I'm kind of, you kind of pilled me on caring about the All-Star game, Brendan. Not going to lie. You won. Okay. Congratulations. Ant would have been second on my list, so I'm definitely not out on him just because he said something goofy, I'm not, but I'm not I hear you. I like Halliburton. I like the pick. I'm just, uh, I'm just making you, I'm just making you flesh it out here, but that is, uh, look, he's, he, you know, we talked about, we talked with Rob Mahoney early in the season when he wrote a big feature on, on Halliburton pretty early on. And, and one of the things they were betting on is that Halley could become one of the types of guys in this league that, 
attracts talent. And it sounds like Pascal Siakam said no to the Sacramento Kings, but somehow was down to extend, or he hasn't extended yet, but but spend the next several years of his career in Indianapolis. And I think the main reason why is is Tyrese Halliburton. So he uh, he has that type of magnetism. I think you're you're absolutely right. I think he's also just when he's the health thing is fair, but you need to pick someone who I think is fun and the way they play is like fun. And there are certain guys that are great, but would we say that they are the, that there's certain guys that it's like, I, Giannis is incredible, but is he always the most fun to watch game to game? I think sometimes no. Dame is was another one I thought about, but is he is he too old at this point to like be the guy you want to anchor yourself to? But he's yes. absolutely fun. The to answer watch. to that is yes. Okay, respect for my thirty and ups out here. All right, coming up on today's show, we're past the All Star break. Ten things that are going to decide the rest of the year. Let's dive in. Basketball show. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review on your podcast app and your platform of choice. Follow us on YouTube. Subscribe there. Hit the notification bell. Five-star reviews only, by the way. I want to tell you about a friend at Thrive Fantasy as well. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with code JustBasketball and Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. Today's show is all about the stretch run of the NBA season and getting you ready for these different things. We each have five. We're going to present them. But there, Brennan, I got to tell you, I, you put your list in the dock. I had not had a chance to type mine in there yet. So that's, that's just on me. Got to tell you, you were worried about overlap. We have only two slight overlaps. Well, three slight overlaps. We didn't word anything the same, which is very exciting. Great. We didn't like... We're just diving right in. We, who are we starting with? Yeah. Who gets the honor? I, I want to start with, with me. I'm going to be selfish, and I'm just going to ask. It's one related to one you have as well. Does anyone get an MVP moment the rest of the way? Does anyone like do something on a big stage and put themselves into the MVP race in some way or, or put themselves at the forefront of the MVP race? Does someone have like a Russell Westbrook's the year he won the MVP moment that separates themselves and maybe like ultimately the nerds and, and us and other people will say like, Hey, Kawhi Leonard should have gotten MVP or James Harden should have won MVP. And like, there's going to be valid cases I think at the end of the year for a bunch of guys for MVP, Brendan, but does someone have a moment for MVP that separates them from the rest of the pack? I, th- I think it's possible that that's in some way how this race is going to get decided. It could be. I think the standings will probably dictate that more than anything personally. You know, I I think in this time in the NBA, like that Russ MVP is a, a good example of something that if a player were to do it, 
I think would really stand out. Maybe Jokic is the closest to what Russ was then, just in terms of consistency on a night-to-night basis and late game, I'm getting the job done types of what you just called MVP moments. But I just think with the level of parity we have now, and obviously that Russ team wasn't elite, so maybe that, you know, makes it somewhat similar to how we are now. But he also, I, I also think he had like, it's the, the word I'm about to use is not the exact right word, and it's kind of a loaded word, but he kind of had like a populist, like groundswell of support from fans, it felt like, based on how arenas were reacting to him that year. Yeah, but it was because like, of those, it was because of those moments. It was because of those yeah. clutch situations, right? Isn't that what you're saying? But yeah, but I think it also built that year. It was like it built up to him getting these moments in other markets where he normally would like be maybe praised because he's a star and loved because he's a star. But I don't know if he would have gotten the exact same. Like, I think there was a special set of circumstances that kind of built in a crescendo for Russ in a way that I don't know if there's a one-to-one analogy here within the pool of MVP candidates that could get the same kind of thing. I don't think there's anyone that's like a character in that way, in the, in the way Russ was when he won his MVP. Yeah, I honestly, I it, it kind of feels like you are uh, discounting that too much in my prof- in my professional opinion. That MVP, you're making it seem like he won it because like, no, I don't. Fans no, I geeked don't, out I, and like clapped really hard. No, that's not what I mean. But I mean, what I mean is that like I think it helped. I think he. Had, he like, I mean, it was the first triple double, right? It was the yeah. first since yeah. Oscar Robertson, and yeah. the clutch numbers were out of this world. And it yeah. was the fact that Durant and Harden were gone. So, so that, it wasn't just Durant, like all these cool little nights on league I know, pass. I know. Yeah. I know. But I'm. But I think they're also. They're, I'm saying the component of it was that I don't know if it's one or replicable. Is even if like pick an MVP candidate you want to have that's like Jalen Brunson has like a run mm-hmm. where he like scorches a the, scorches the Cavs in Cleveland in a couple weeks and has like yeah. a forty and ten game against Mitchell and they get the two seed and that pushes him into the conversation in some way. I don't think. I think there was just some like. Is great. It's like it was Russ was great and like historic and had these things where it's like, hey, Durant left and he's like said F you to the world. Like there was part of that that I think aided him. Like it just does. And I don't, I don't, so I don't know if that's too. I'm saying the greatness is there. I'm also saying, I, is there a one to one thing here? Even if I'm saying, is there someone who could have a moment in the same way? It's like an open question to me is can that be yeah. replicated as far as a vibe and energy? Looking I mean, at the schedule, in Denver, you know. Like that was nuts. To me, it kind of feels like Luca would be, or Brunson. I think those are both two good examples of what could be similar if we're just using that Westbrook year as an example. But I think, I think every year kind of has it, right? I mean, I think Embiid against Jokic in that big Sunday game last year went a long way. The fact that Embiid was able to get the the W. I mean, that was a team win. PJ Tucker's defense played a big part in it and everything else. But those those things matter. And so Denver and Dallas play each other. Sunday, March 17th, ABC, middle of the day game. I would imagine that one would go a long way. I mean, the, the Mavs have to be a lot better in the win-loss in order to even be in this conversation. But I would expect that one to, to have some standing here. And again, I think to me, it's going to come down to, again, to use the same word, uh, but add an S to it, the standings in the West, especially of, of really what it looks like because 
I mean, to me, how surprised would you be if somebody in the East won the MVP? I'd be pretty surprised because you would think it would need to be Giannis or Tatum would be the two leading candidates, at least as far as the betting market goes from our friends at BetMGM. Giannis, the Bucks don't feel like they're going to be good enough or stable enough the rest of the way for him to actually get into that conversation and be a legitimate candidate and, 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 and win it. And then Tatum is just like not really in the conversation, even though Boston, I think, is widely considered the best team in the league and the best team in the conference at the very least. Yeah, it almost feels like Brunson, if the Knicks were to rise, like maybe pass Philly, maybe pass Milwaukee if, if the Bucks really you fell Cle- off. You mean you mean Cleveland, not Philly. They're already ahead of Philly. I just mean stay, right? Like oh, finish yeah, yeah. the season, cement it as a top two or three team in the conference. And yes, Cleveland would, would have a role to play. Although, you know, again, based off the betting odds, Brunson is already a touch ahead of Donovan. I think that conversation might might be swayed by the standings too. Um, he feels like probably more likely than Tatum was my point, just because of, yeah, I, I think, our perception of, of the Celtics. But uh, do we want to go back and forth or all of yours than all of mine? Because I have one no, MVP-based... Oh, uh, question here too. No, I think we should go back and forth. I think that's the, the the fair way to do it. We'll go back and forth. No snake, and you have an MVP one. So let, let's get to it. And I I have once you say it, I I have an immediate rebuttal for you. So let's go. Well, my question is, and I intentionally didn't say his name, and I think you uh, strategically helped me out there. Which is, mm-hmm. is Shea Gilgis Alexander really going to win MVP? Because I have started to hear on different you know, content sources, we'll call them, you know, whether that's social media or shows or podcasts or anything, NBA chatter out there that this feels real. You hear it on broadcasts and just talking to people at Suns games or wherever in my life that care about the NBA, people are moving in that direction in a way that really, really surprises me. And I believe he is... Uh, he's not the betting favorite, Jokic is, but you look at a lot of stats and Shea is right behind Embiid. So he feels like he might be the front runner right now if, if OKC was able to hold on and finish ahead of Denver in the Western Conference standings. Is is this really where we're headed? My rebuttal to that is why isn't this just is why isn't is it just gonna be Jokic that wins it? Because he's the betting favorite. I think he's widely considered the best player in the world, or at least among a lot of people considered the best player in the world. His team's the defending champ. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just this the the de facto pick in a year where Embiid, I think, would have been the guy, it felt like, if he hadn't had this issue with the 65 games. That just kind of yeah. obviously cut his MVP candidacy short. I feel like Jokic would be my, if you're going to say, if I had to pick someone right now that just feels like the way this breaks, I feel like it might just be Jokic getting their MVPs in his prime, best team in best team in the league last year, I think one of the inter-ring title contenders. I just think it might just go to him in, in the same way I think you're maybe saying it might just be for SGA. Yeah, well, so you look at remaining strength of schedule, Right. OKC and Denver are pretty much neck and neck. 
You look at the net rating with Shea on 10.3 plus 10.3. You look at the net rating with Jokic on plus 8.7. And actually the offensive rating with either of those two players on the court for their respective teams is basically identical. Shea's is a little higher. I think you can have a pretty interesting conversation about what value really is for a player like Shea on defense because he's not a big man and how much you should even factor that in, frankly. But to me, their cases being very, very close, the Thunder, I think, having the reputation or perception as being younger and and kind of needing Shea's consistency and giving them kind of a rudder night to night, the surprise, the... He was our, you know, North Star during this awful rebuild when Durant and, and Russ and everybody left. That's all on his side. And so if the stats are similar, and let's just say the Thunder are even like a game or two ahead of the Nuggets in the standings when it's all said and done, it'd be kind of weird to vote for Jokic at that point, wouldn't it? I mean, they're yeah. literally in the same conference. If one guy beats out the other and the stats and everything else tells you he's at least as valuable, I don't know. I, I could definitely see it going that way. I think there is also just a vibe in within this race, Brendan, where maybe this is a year where new blood does win it. Just someone who hasn't won it before, someone who tells you where the league is going, Someone who tells you who who gets rewarded for elevating their team in a real way, and Shea to me would be the best candidate for those that kind of parameter, right? Because his team is better than Luke. Like it would be him or Luca that would kind of be the candidate you would think of to me when you think of okay, who's the next guy that could win an MVP? Shea's team's just better than Luca's by a significant margin, so he to me yeah. would be the guy if you're going to go that route and say okay, it's not going to be Jokic and Bead can't. We're not giving it to Giannis because the Bucks are so uneven. Jay would be the guy, I think, if you went down the route. I think you're making a strong case. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before, right, too. I think Shea's defense has taken a step forward this year. He creates turnovers, which even if he's not an elite defender, you know, like up there with the best of the best of the best, that that is a skill leading the league in steals or close to it that matters. And his ability to just exert control over these games, especially late. And I don't look at the clutch stats every day because they fluctuate a lot. But when I think of the best guys down the stretch of a game, he does come to mind. I was really resistant to this up until recently, but... Because of Embiid's injury, because the Nuggets are, are are a little lower in the standings, nobody in the East has really cemented themselves. It feels more and more like a realistic possibility. I, I, I don't think any of us would have him as the most valuable player in the NBA, but for the award, you know, measuring just this season, he may well snatch it. It happens sometimes. All right, Brent, I'm going to give you a choice for my next one. Do you want East Eastern Conference or Western Conference? Uh, let's go to the let's go to the East. We've talked a lot about Western Conference guys with the MVP. All right, this this is I think the to me the most important storyline the rest of the way for the East. How does two through th- through four shake out? How does two through four between Cleveland, New York, and Milwaukee? How does that actually break? What does the playoff bracket at the top of the conference look like? There's so much I think riding on the playoffs for all three of those teams in different ways. I think there's pressure. I think most 
on the Bucks, but I think also on Cleveland. I think also on the Knicks to act to to maximize what this year is, and and all these teams have I think like reasonable cases and expectations or dreams of making the conference finals. I don't think any of them should be considered on the tier of Boston, to be clear. But who gets home court between these teams in rounds one and two? Who And then who is three, and then A, gets home court in the first round, but B, does not have to, if they assuming they win round one, does not have to then play Boston in round two. That is such a big deal. And if you're the Bucks, in particular, if you look at it through their lens... There's a good chance to me that Brennan that they finish fourth and they're staring down having to win a four or five, maybe against a returning Joel Embiid. And then if they win that, it's like, okay, you get Boston. There, mm-hmm. There's just so much I think at stake for how this breaks and, and what's going to be set up for these teams here. <clears throat> for as of right now, for what it's worth, the seeding order as far as the basketball reference playoff probability chart goes based on their simulations. Boston 99.9% of the time gets the one seed. Cleveland gets their number, the two seed, 88.3% of the time. The Knicks get the three seed, 32.2% of the time. And the Bucks get the four seed, 26% of the time. That is the most likely structure of this. And if you're the Bucks, that's worst case scenario. Yeah, I guess I don't. I, I think all the Bucks stuff you're saying, I don't really see the same. I we just feel negatively about them generally. It's just an aura, right? But they're not really injured right now. Um it's just and it's just what, there's just nothing they got they made the change, right? Like they got yeah. Doc. I understand it hasn't started well, but I think if you were to give me like a stock up, stock down and we did that type of a segment, I would probably think the buck stock has to be up just based on well, they made a couple changes in the buy. You know, they got Gallinari, they got Beverly. Maybe that just helps steady things out. They have a more regular coach, and they're healthy. So it's like, shouldn't shouldn't things trend upward for them rather than like we just bet on they're going to win three out of every ten games forever? I, I don't really think that, that's going to happen, right? That's that's not my point. My point is that this is a team. If you're thinking about a pressure index of the playoffs. They have Giannis in his prime. They have Damian Lillard after they give up everything and Drew Holiday for him. Post thirty, you made a coaching yeah. change. You, you, this is an older team. It's just you have your season is I think more than anybody else that in that two through four range to find on can you win a title this year? Yeah, that is that no, is just I, what, the issue like I'm taking that, is you saying that they're going to finish fourth just because like the vibes oh, are I'm, off. They're a game ahead I'm of New not, York right now, right? And and New I'm, York is much more saying, injured. So I think that would I, I kind of would see it as it's gonna finish exactly how it is right now. If I had to to lock something in, I would go Boston, Cleveland, Milwaukee, New York. Just because Cleveland's rolling, they're healthy now. New York is still kind of scuttling around with their injuries. Philly, we don't expect to to jump back in. And I do think Milwaukee can kind of stay afloat. So I might just say it it goes exactly according to what it is at this exact moment. I tend to agree with you. I was just going through what this is what like the the like one simulation you can publicly look at. Teams have their own. uh, There's other sources you can look at. That's what that's what I'm saying is that like it's on the table. And I think there's just a lot at stake for how this actually breaks. That is my point here. 
I feel like you said you think the Bucks finish fourth, and then now we're 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 rolling back. But no, that's fine. If if you if we're on the same page, then I think that makes sense. I think the the playoff pressure and everything else is a completely different conversation, and I, I would tend to agree that the Bucks are at the top of that list for me of these three teams. Um, I I don't know if New York. I, I wonder how they view it. I think they have to perform well. But if I were to say, you know, to tell Knicks fans, hey, you 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 have another showing like you did last year would that be good enough like a competitive second round exit or do they have to go further than that if we're talking about you know setting themselves up for a playoff run i i think also brennan what influences me on this is that like the five seed is just such a weird thing in the east this year like it's just gonna be like well, like, think about, like, the options you could get at five. Like, you don't really... Philly's kind of, like, going to be an unknown, just, I think, based on how their season is broken. Does mm-hmm. any one of Orlando or Indiana or Miami, like, figure it out? I also think if, to your to the Knicks' credit, like, I think if any of these teams would feel good about being fourth and just taking on the world, it's probably them. Like, I would feel like they just want to be healthy, and that's kind of the whole thing. Like, I don't think anything else really matters to them. Yeah, they have Ananobi is out for Thursday. Mm-hmm. Bogdanovich probable, Hartenstein probable, and then Randall and, and Robinson both also obviously still out. So this break might have helped them a bit, but it you know they're they're still a long way from really feeling good about about where they are. And and similar for Philly, it's not just Embiid, but Melton Melton continues to be out and Batum's been kind of fluctuating in and out of, of the lineup over there for them. So yeah, this time of year, it, it does tend to just lean toward health. And from there you just go. I'm sure the Knicks would love to have home court in the second round if they could. I mean, they have a real home court advantage in a way that I'm not sure, you know, Milwaukee or, or Cleveland really do. So that should be a goal, but you know, best laid plans don't always uh, map out let me give you my i have a couple that involve the teams we're talking about um so can the 76ers salvage the season let's go there next okay joel Embiid is going to be reevaluated around march 6th and they seem to feel like he can be impactful. Uh, at the same time, you saw Daryl Morey basically kind of hedge in a couple of interviews coming out of the deadline where he's, you know, and, and he's obviously always the type to play his, to ha- have his um, true intentions hidden, right? But seemed to indicate, hey, we, we might not get something with our cap space. This might be our roster. And, you know, what we did at the deadline, don't read too much into that, you know. Um, or, or maybe do, and, and maybe we re-sign Buddy Heald. Like, they've given themselves this flexibility, but I personally am of the opinion they can't, they can't waste if there's any potential for Embiid to be impactful by the second week of April. They have to roll with that. So can this whole thing get back into the well-oiled machine that we saw in November and December when Embiid was putting up 30 and three quarters on a nightly basis and just destroying the league? 
can they get even close to that? Because that team, I think a lot of us felt like could really make noise in the in the East, and now it's just a whole lot of uncertainty. I mean, there, there's no team, Brendan, that I think has more error bars in it for me than the 76ers right now, just because you, you could convince me a bunch of things about Joel Embiid coming back. And that's kind of the whole thing. It's like, yes, they made moves that I think make them that make them set up to be ready to go when Embiid comes back. They didn't like sell off any pieces and prioritize cap space even more aggressively. They're obviously still prime for something in the summer in a big way. But this all just hinges like how far this team goes and how dangerous they are in round one does just depend on what Embiid looks like when he gets back. Does he move well? Is he at his peak? How do they even manage him? the rest of the year and and like rev him up over the course of like let's let's say he comes back like march 15th right let's just say like he gets reevaluated march 8th he comes back a week or so later how did what does the the ramp up process look like to keep him healthy until april and then beyond that in theory right like there's just so many things that i don't think we can actually project we just have to like wait to see how it unfolds it makes them entirely it, it makes the question you've asked for me like it's this isn't good podcasting and i'm, I'm readily admitting that but i have to just be like i have no i i have no idea but that's really fun to watch as a fan and for us to figure out it's absolutely going to be like the, his first game back i will be glued on assuming i am home or like and don't have like something going on i'll be glued to my couch just seeing how he looks because like lord knows i appreciated the caveat that you can't watch tv if you're not home i think tyrese maxi to me is the other part of this that is that is interesting because he has really shown up in the playoffs you know he he is also ready i think you would have to say you know this season as much as it was about Embiid dominating and then Embiid getting hurt it's also been a bonafide explosive breakout for this guy you know in the in the in his first 2021 run he was a a bench player but the past two years I mean he has 20 a 38 in game one of the Toronto series two years ago that's with Harden on the team obviously Embiid was hurt uh, in that series 34 in game two of the second round last season has three four games of uh, five games of 25 plus points across 11 games in the playoffs and has a a 60 plus percent uh true shooting so uh in, in two years ago and then 55 last year and you know this season picked up right where he left off and you know again 20 points per game upped his three point shooting never turns the ball over and assists are almost double like this guy is a is a star in his own right just made an all-star team so that part of of the equation i think is is also important right you gotta keep developing and and feeling out the rest of this whole roster and maury can talk about well we may re-sign some of these guys and this and that but you kind of want to see batum and buddy healed and this version of maxi and even Kelly Oubre, for all I know, Kyle Lowry, uh, who's who's now part of this whole thing, rather than just uh, going into the summer with the same confusion you have right now. So I guess I hope that Embiid can at least be on the court, but to your point, I mean, what he will look like by the time we get there is anybody's guess, and it kind of always is, unfortunately, with this guy. Even if he had never had this meniscus thing, we would have gotten into April being like, how's this going to go? 
that's just the Joel Embiid experience. So there's really no way to predict and, and project no matter what, but they got a lot riding on it. So hopefully they can, again, use that same word that I said in the question, salvage this thing. It makes me nervous for like him. Honestly, like I, you just like, it's just, there's, there's no player in the league right now where you, I have this like palpable fear that things could just like go abruptly wrong in, in a real way, you know? It's been what ten years of that feeling, the pit in our stomachs. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, and you just—he is like I think long been number one on the list, Brendan, of guys you just expect to have a playoff moment at some point. And like maybe like the, now I'm just getting to the point where I'm scared that injuries are just going to rob us of him, like actually getting to have that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think it's a good thing, right? That. His reevaluation date is is a month before even the end of the regular season. So even if he, you know, gets in, gets some scans done, whatever that day or that week, let's say, and he's not fully ready and there's the ramp up and everything else. And maybe he doesn't even play the rest of the regular season. I think the point you made about the, the rest of the East outside of the top five being a little uncertain. Obviously, he's probably going to have to play another one of those top five at this point in that first round. But that helps him, as does the fact that, you know, it's not like he's Tyrese Maxey, who is doing this largely for the first time as a lead dog. And Bede, it's like he could step onto the court in game one, and if there's no minutes limits and he's been in practice and everything for weeks, I'm going to feel relatively comfortable with that. But, yeah, the re-injury question and everything else is always going to be there. But what is your uh, next question here? Mine's another salvage project. I'm gonna just keep with the theme here of can this can we can can we fix him? Can we fix them? Mm-hmm. Can the Miami Heat be saved? And I want to tease. This is kind of a tease for next week because we're gonna have West. I'm gonna have West Goldberg on. Brennan's gonna head across the pond. Um, and West West Goldberg, our friend from Lockton, he do people have hopefully seen and heard on here before. Will be on for two episodes next week, and we're gonna do an East deep dive and talk about the Heat. But I'm just like openly wondering, like, is this, is this, is there's just like too much for the Heat to overcome? Like, Terry Rozier's got this knee sprain. Delon Wright, you know, bringing in, okay. Jimmy Butler's away. Nothing has quite felt right for them this year, even when they've had some things that have broken through. Like, hey, what Highsmith being interesting and Duncan Robinson adding new layers to his game all of a sudden. This team just, like, ultimately hasn't been very good. Mm-hmm. And. There's this. There is also this nagging voice in the back of my head, Brendan, where I think about last year, and we had Wes on, and I think we asked him pretty point blank, "Can the Heat like make another playoff run?" And he was just like, "Absolutely not." And then they made the fucking finals. So it's just like there's like the there's like this boogeyman fear around me. But if you look at the numbers, their offense is in the bottom ten. They're 18th in net rating. The defense has been good, like borderline top ten. They're also outperforming their net rating by about three wins. So, like, under the hood, I don't think this team comes out looking particularly good. There's not a compelling case to me in terms of the numbers that this team can be figured out. And then you throw in all the other stuff going on. And I just, how much can you actually trust this team to actually salvage itself and and be a team that can finish six in the East and not even have to be in the play-in? Or or even if they are in the play-in, be a team that the two seed doesn't want to have to deal with in round one or Boston doesn't have to want to deal with the run one. 
Well, I think that fear from the opposing team in a playoff series is always going to be there. You know, I, I mean, last year, if, if if nothing else ever did prove it, last year for sure should have proven that you can't overlook them. You can't underestimate them. And no matter what the number uh, to the left of their team name on the ESPN score bug is related to their seating, and that, that doesn't really matter. But I guess, let me put it this way. So, Last season, game one of the playoffs, they go in to Milwaukee. Their rotation is this. Oh, boy. Hold on. This is not the box score of the game. This is the stats for the series. All right. Box score. Real rotation players from game one last season. Butler, Struess, Vincent, Bam, Hero, Martin, Love, Lowry, Duncan Robinson. And over the course of that series, we would eventually see um, a little bit of Oladipo, and he got hurt. Obviously, Tyler Hero gets hurt. And very quickly, it becomes Struce, Butler, Duncan, Bam, Vincent, Martin, Love, Zeller is basically their rotation. This season... We're looking at a rotation, assuming they stay healthy, of Robinson, Hawkes, Bam, Love, Josh Richardson, Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Terry Rozier, or something. You know, they have DeLon Wright, who they just added. Nikola Jovic has had some interesting moments. We still have Haywood Highsmith on this roster. Caleb Martin uh, is still a factor. They're deeper now, right? And I think the defense is always going to be there. I think, to me, it comes down to can Jimmy masquerade as the version of himself the 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 type of player he was all of last season and of course especially in the playoffs and can they figure out what the hell is going on where they're always worse when when all these guys are healthy and better when they're not healthy can they actually have bam butler and and jimmy together on the court and be better than the sum of their parts because you, otherwise you're kind of like wishing for a, an ankle tweak or something as as weird as that sounds I absolutely would be whoever gets them on one should feel terrified. Like they just like you should have just like the the fear that Jason's going to break into your house and get you. That's just how I think this works. Honestly, like Brennan Bucks heat just sounds like something we we deserve just for the fear factor, you know? Mhm. Do you like watching Miami? Even no, after last year when we all kind of learned no. how to appreciate them? I mean, on a regular season basis, no, I absolutely do not. I don't think anyone really does. I don't think the Heat like watching the Heat, you know, but I think that's kind of the point. With Butler, Bam, and and Hero on the court this year, they're plus 2.7 per 100 possessions. It's not exactly what you're looking for with your three best players, you know, so... But look, I mean, to your point, last year, and as I walked through that rotation... It was bleaker at this time last year, I think, even with Jimmy playing awesome, than it is right now. So, crazier things have, have certainly happened. But to me, I think the the presence of a legit Pacers, a legit Knicks, even the Magic being uh, uh, an actual force, hopefully Cleveland not falling apart, I think the East is a little stronger. And, and that might be the, big, the biggest thing standing between them and another run like that. But uh, we can stay in the East again here. Okay, let's do it. And go with uh, 
how high can Jalen Brunson go? So I want to circle back because we mentioned the, the Knicks injuries a bit. I guess it came out today that Julius Randle is not ruling out season-ending shoulder surgery. It's not great. Not at all. At the same time, uh, he was very hobbled last year in the playoffs, was not himself, was frustrated, not closing certain games, as we all remember. And nevertheless, they win six playoff games push the eventual champion uh, eventual finals rep from their conference to six games and, and really compete well i think and then obviously just blow the hell out of cleveland so i, I obviously the randall injury would be a, a really big blow but they're really really deep they just keep adding stuff dante divincenzo is playing like he's ray allen and I kind of think that that wouldn't necessarily mean doom for their season. And that leads me back to the original question, which is to me, this, this playoff run is going to be largely about Jalen Brunson. And you mentioned not betting against Miami. Obviously they have much more of a track record there than Mr. Brunson does, but I am not betting against what this guy can do in any moment. He has more than proven himself worthy of, of that level of trust over the past couple of years as he's broken out in New York. How high do you think Jalen Brunson can go this year? How, how far can the Knicks make their run? I think the I think Eastern Conference Finals is super doable for them. And you could convince me that they're the team most likely to give Boston fits among the other top four teams in the East. I think you you could I could get there with that. I haven't totally fleshed that out and thought about it enough to give you like a declarative answer, but my gut would tell me I think it's the Knicks. Just based on how they're tough as shit. They have all the pieces, they have the size, they're gonna be physical. You could even, Brennan, like, I, I hate these arguments because people made them about Kevin Love for a long time and, and Chris Bosh for a long time. And, and Randall, obviously, I don't know if has quite ever hit the highs of those two guys. But I, there would be something that would simplify what the Knicks are if it's just, like, Brunson and his style and you don't even have to, like, accommodate to Randall in some way. It's just, like, we got a bunch of big-ass wings who can shoot. Jalen Brunson and... And if you get Mitchell Robinson back in particular, bigs who are going to just rebound the shit out of the ball. That There's a recipe there that is spearheaded by Brunson that would make the Knicks, I think, really interesting. Because I think Eastern Conference Finals feels super doable. The only the only thing that I think separates the Miami thing you're hitting at and, and the Knicks of this year with Brunson and like him having his Jimmy Butler kind of run is Tibbs just isn't as good of a coach as Eric Spolstra, and I, that's gonna that's gonna matter at some point within this conversation. It just it just is. Spolstra is the best coach in the league, and Tibbs just I don't think we think of him in that capacity. Even if his team's he's doing a really good job with this group, I don't know if he's gonna be like pulling all the right levers at the right times in the playoffs. If it, if it came down to that being like a, a X factor, Brunson knocking off the Celtics or pushing the Celtics at seven in the Eastern Conference Finals or something of that ilk. Yeah, I, I think they don't match up 
well with Boston. So that's absolutely true. I guess to me, it's like the Knicks don't need Eric Spolstra because they have more depth, frankly, than than last year's Miami team did. So it's a little it's a little easier to just kind of win with what you have. But definitely that I think if they ran up against the Celtics, I would probably pick Boston myself. Um, yeah, I guess I, just to go back in time a little bit, like. Brunson had 25, 5, and 7 in game one, 35 and 2 in game two. He had a 32 and 11 game, a 38, 9, and 7 game. And then in, in game six, which they narrowly lost to Miami, which I think we kind of forget, a road game six in Miami, he went for 41 on 64% shooting from the field and only turned the ball over three times. Um, so. Better team, deeper team, more experienced team. It's year two in this kind of uh, cauldron for him. And and I would not put like a super low ceiling on, on the Knicks, even if Randall's thing is long-term, even if they don't get Robinson back. I just, I I agree. You're, the recipe they have here and, and how great he's playing will go a really long way for them. But what's your next one? We're going to flip to the opposite end of the standings here for a moment because I just I feel like we need to, to bring him into this conversation. Are we going to see Victor Wembanyama more fully unleashed? Are we going to see Victor Wembanyama, who has been tapped out at most nights like 28 minutes or so? He's putting up absurd numbers in those minutes. He's going to, I think, he's going to win rookie of the year. I think we're headed there. Greg Popovich has had... He said this a couple times, I think, but at least the most recent one I saw was he talked about maybe towards the end of the year, well, they'll raise his minutes a little bit. And we've seen Wembenyama, I think, grow over the course of the year. He very well could average 20, 10, and 3 assists a game, which, and if he stays under 30 minutes, the only other player in league history to do that is Joel Embiid. But do we just see him, whether it's minutes, whether expanding his capacity to do things we didn't know he could do, does Victor Wembanyama just get fully unleashed, and what does that tell us about where he's going? He certainly, his team is not going anywhere. That team stinks, and they're going to have a really high draft pick. But what does the rest of the year tell us about him and what he is ready to do maybe as early as next year? Yeah, I don't think maybe everybody realizes, and I, I will admit, you know, I asked you if you like watching the Heat. I like watching the Spurs less, so it's it's kind of a it's kind good. of like it's, eating it's like eating spinach or something to watch this team. But the under the radar incredible twenty games or so since January first that he's had is absurd. He's averaged he averaged twenty four ten and three on sixty percent true shooting with a 37 usage in 14 games in January. And the Spurs were four points better with him on the court per game on average, which means it's a, a dog shit team that was actually winning the minutes he was out there. Think about how bad they were when he wasn't, you know? And then in seven games in February, he's at also 60% usage, uh, uh, sorry, 60% true shooting, slightly lower usage, but still 20, 10, and four in, as you noted, very, very limited minutes. So the production's there. I think we kind of are, and the efficiency, I think we're kind of like, falling behind the rookie of the year conversation if we're looking at it as like well Chet is kind of you know 
doing it in a winning fashion every day and really handling the workload and, and doing it efficiently. But Vic's just sort of out there doing his thing, chucking shots, playing, you know, losing basketball. It's, it's not really true anymore. He's, he's being asked to do a ton, but he's actually succeeding. So I think he's earned a bigger opportunity when you kind of cut it up that way. It's just a matter of physically information we don't have access to, a, a plan of action we don't have access to as far as how to maintain, you know, he had, he did have those ankle injuries. It's not purely precautionary, right? Like he, he did have some tweaks and things and you're always one wrong move, especially early in a career like that from a serious problem. So I don't hate the minute side of it as much as I really hated the lack of structure early on. And I think since they made those changes to the lineup and to the rotation, I'd be cool if if he's able to kind of play the same role for the last 25, 30 games here, even if the minutes stay around 27, 28, maybe cap out at 30. I, that doesn't bother me as much, but let him do whatever he wants because he's kind of passing every single test they've thrown at him on the court. Can I ask you just one follow-up to this before we go to the next thing? Does it surprise you, like, kind of – it's just occurred to me now, so – Maybe I'm just like off base here, but does it surprise you at all that Greg Popovich, the the military the military background, known for his system, you know, and, and what he did with with David Robinson and Duncan and Parker and Ginobili, that he, this team for him has been so unstructured? Does that surprise you that like this guy who I think in, in some ways is defined by creating structure and order? has a team that is so out of order at times? Yeah, of course, but it's been that way for a few years now. I mean, I, I think it was like, wasn't it, I think it was Bill Simmons who got a lot of shit like five years ago for kind of stepping out of line and, and daring to criticize and not kiss the ring. But Pop's teams have not really played very organized basketball for a while now and especially since DeRozan left it's just been kind of further and further downhill I, I don't know if he's doing I mean what's a developmental success story that you would point to since DeRozan left is there any guy that's really exceeded our expectations as a prospect that came into that that organization I, I'm not saying they've failed but I don't think that there is one the only one, and they would, I th they might have overlapped for a year, maybe not, but the one that comes to mind would be Vassell has maybe exceeded expectations to some degree, but he was also a high pick. Yeah, and you never really know with, with any draft prospect, so getting to the point that Vassell's gotten would have to be a big one, but... That's it? Even he, it's like, I don't really know what the winning version uh, on, a, on a great team of Devin Vassell looks like. I, I don't think this season's gone the way I'd hoped for him. They have the ball in his hands a ton, and I guess that makes sense to try to develop that skill set, but it, it's not exactly working. Um, DeJounte Murray, I, I think you would probably put on that list of guys that, that exceeded their, their draft position. You know, he, he's gone now, but I guess give him credit for that. I think Keldon Johnson feels really far from a, a, a polished ball of clay of a, of a great, again, winning team basketball player to me. So I don't know. Uh, you know, obviously, Pop will work there as long as he wants to. But 
I hope that I hope things trend upward when it comes to that. And maybe Vic being great on both ends, obviously that goes a long way to just getting the best out of other guys too. So it's not just about him, right? It's like this whole team needs needs some some guidance. <laughs> maybe that comes more from Vic being awesome than it does from the head coach. Yeah, this team could use like could if 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 cloning was cool, Mike Conley would be like perfect for this team. And by cool I mean yeah. legal and like possible. It is cool, cool, right? Like lowercase C, whatever. It's it, it kind of the idea of it's pretty pretty sick. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how Mike Conley would feel about that. To your point. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's no good way to transition. I need I, out of that. Honestly, give me your next one. Okay. Uh, let's come to my backyard. Can the Suns avoid embarrassment? I'm not, Brennan, can I just tell you, I'm already preemptively worried about you, like, second week of April, April 14th, like, that next two weeks, I'm gonna just, like, once a day, you might just get a phone call, a little text from me, a, a $5 Starbucks gift card sent your way, just being like, checking in, bud, making sure everything's okay over there, particularly if it's, like, Nugget Suns around one, I'm just gonna be checking in. Yeah, I think it will be, is, is kind of how it's, it's shaping up right now, but let me just start here as, like, a sub-question within my question. Okay. Do you just think it's stupid to even think of them as title contenders? Because I think there's a, like, I, I heard somebody who put it this way of like, there's really, and it was a Suns fan, and obviously that can be harsher than reality sometimes too, but they were like, there's really no precedent for a team with the season we've seen the Suns have, even with the all the caveats you can make about injuries, to be this as a, record net rating skew between offense and deep there's really just no modern or ever champion that looked like this and when the season's not over but are we kind of kidding ourselves to even put them in that group because the stats would kind of tell you we are i don't think we are i mean they're eighth in net rating for one you know mm-hmm. they have the eighth best offense in the league the defense is above average it's which I think is a win considering the roster, frankly. I think mm-hmm. there's going to be... I think they're obviously just that the core of this team is maybe a little more... Because of the injuries, because of just the way they play, I think there is just a little bit of kind of lack of certainty with some of this, right? I think there is a little bit of that, but I, I don't think so. I think, I think the biggest argument against them would just be how hard it is going to be for them to get there just based on what the injury, what kind of hole the injuries have put them in. Can I ask you, this is like a sub... I think the biggest argument against them is that their defense is not very good. Well, so this is this is my this is my question. You would know this better than me as you think about this team incessantly. Last two weeks, Clean the Glass has them as the sixth best defense in the league couple points better per possessions than they've been on the year is there anything to that that is real is that just like a hot run of defensive play like is there anything where you've seen improvement or adjustments or anything that would let you think that hey they're going to be able to be good enough defensively that things are trending in that direction where they could put together a really good couple defensive months and, and make a real run at this yeah, so here's the thing is, um, I, I do think there's something to it because that trend goes much further back than two weeks. They, since December 26th, which is like, if you listen to Frank Vogel, that's when he thinks their season kind of turned around. They are 19 and seven 
and fifth in net rating, second in offense, and seventh in defense. So that's a 25-game sample plus where they are seventh in the NBA in defensive rating, 114.4. And I mean, the biggest thing that you would look at statistically within that is that they've been able to force more turnovers, which has always been a hallmark of of Frank Vogel teams. They still let teams get to the rim. They're not getting a lot of shooting luck, which is nice, but I don't know. It's, it's almost to me like, I think the ultimate destiny for that team on that side of the ball is going to have to be somewhat gimmicky, right? Whether it's being really good switching in small ball lineups or maybe rolling a little more zone out as the season comes to a close here or, you know, really just using Josh Okogie the right way for 15 minutes a night and having that sway those minutes your way for one reason or another and surviving the offense on uh, as that happens. Like I, I just, I can see all the kind of all the numbers I want, but personnel wise, I think I'm still going to have questions about, about how good they ultimately are. They just don't have somebody to start to stop perimeter creators. They just don't. I mean, a can't play enough for it to be him and, and no one else really fits that description. So uh, I think they, to answer my own question and to look at that sample that I just listed off since basically the day after Christmas, I would say that I do agree they are still in the, you know, maybe not the top tier of contenders, but right below that. And I think they absolutely can still win a championship. But the bigger picture nature of my question is if they don't, and especially if they don't get close, you look at the way they've exited the playoffs the past two years with getting blown out at home and the, I think, high level of, of, of doubt around the way this team was built, Chris. And I think they're going to kind of be the laughing stock of the league. You know, they're going to be, who was it last year? Milwaukee? Like that, that's going to be the team that, that gets the Milwaukee Bucks 2023 treatment if, if they lose in even the second round, in my opinion. It's 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 staring them in the face, I think, just because of, I mean, Durant, I think, being who he is is part of that. I think the making the Beal trade is part of that. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's just also they're, they're just stacked in a very, it's just, the thing that I will cut a lot of teams slack for, I think, number one, and maybe I'm just soft. Maybe I'm just not as hard as I need to be on teams. Like, maybe that's just it. The towel level is just so high that sometimes I'm just like, I, I kind of understand how we like end up with this you know it's just like sure like you're just gonna have kind of obscenely hard pass in, in a series pass, let's know? let's go this if the suns play the clippers in the second round just as a imaginary thing um where does the sun's fourth best player rank among all the players in the series Oh, not high enough. Right, because it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like the, cl- <laughs> it's the Clippers have, the Clippers have PG, Kawhi, and Harden. They also have very Norman you, Powell, Terrence Mann. I just like that you said PG first. That's just a very you thing to... to He's higher on the list of, I don't know why, on basketball reference. I don't know how this is sorted, but he is. Um, okay. Norman Powell gets the top of the roster list on, on B-Ref. I don't know why. So yeah, PG, Kawhi Harden. They also have Man, Powell, and Zubots. Like, 
you, of course the Suns top two and especially and top three is going to be is going to be up there. But after that, it, it it is an open question. And so, yeah, the the talent is there, but you know I think they're going to need those guys to be so so good, and that's asking a lot. But uh, I think you have one more. I do have one more. Um, does any this? I had one that's actually the same as yours, but I'm going to flip it and ask: Does any team just push for the tanking race in a real way that is that were that is interesting? Like, does some team just like punt on the season? I want it to be like: Should we talk about the top of the West? I think we kind of understand that the top of the West is going to be really competitive. It feels like the Wolves are in a really good spot to get the one seed. I'm not like as interested as maybe as, as I should be in kind of how that sorts out. But I'm wondering if like, and I wanted to maybe try to shoehorn in like a Lakers, you know what? We're going to do the Lakers Warriors one. Cause I want to, I want to, we want to, I want to put LeBron in, in a quote. That's good. For, that's good for the SEO. What happens with the Warriors and the Lakers this year that sets the stage for what comes next for those two franchises? What does the rest of the year with LeBron, let's say, and they finish in the plane and lose and just are kind of bleh, what does that mean for him and his summer? And what does whatever the Warriors who are surging, who are showing us something, what does, where do they end up? Do they have something in them or do they also like end up losing in the first round and, and end up in a weird, like these are two of the prestige franchises with prestige all-time great players that are facing really uncertain futures in, in varying ways. What does the rest of the year dictate for them as far as what comes next? Yeah, let's just combine it then. Uh, to answer your original question, though, I think you know, a lot of that gets decided at the deadline, so I'm, I'm glad we pivoted off because I think those were just going to be the teams. We know who it is who it is already who's kind of punting, but even before the deadline, I think Houston and Utah are my answer, right? Like, they, they kind of decided, hey, we're, there's no need chasing 10. And let's give some minutes to our young guys. Hey, Walker Kessler. Hey, Keontae George. Hey, Amen Thompson, Cam Whitmore. Like you're going to be in the real rotation again. And we're not going to, you know, be feeding minutes to guys who are in their 30s anymore. Can I, as can far I as say one, can I say one Rockets thing real quick that I was thinking about when I was prepping for the show that I like real sliding yeah. doors moment that I think worked out in their favor. Can you imagine if they'd actually gotten Brooke Lopez this year and like not let Sangoon just blossom? I'm still not like incredibly convinced that they would have played those two guys together as much as the amount they were paying Brooke would have made it seem like they should. I guess that's, that's I mean. a really long that's sentence, but like, yeah, I the Stephen Adams trade and some of the rumors around the guys they were pursuing that this year's deadline leads me to believe that they just really think they need a fucking awesome backup. Like, I don't think they would have signed Brooke Lopez just to play 12 minutes a game. They would have had to play together somewhat. But maybe I'm just naive enough to think Shingun would have been so good that they would have been kind of slapped in the face. And, like, you can't really play Brooke Lopez over him once you see what he's doing. You know what I mean? Because they obviously wanted to put the ball in his hands too, right? So it's like, to me, maybe I just think his talent wins out. And it's like, maybe they try that for a week and then they're like, okay. We'll pay Brooke, but this this is happening one way or another. I don't know, but I hear you absolutely. Very, it still remains one of the weirdest rumors of last off season that they even wanted him. Just, just what are we doing, Houston Tillman Fertitta? You must be, you must be contained, my my good sir. Uh, what what were you gonna say? What were you gonna say? I poor cut you off. Well, I was gonna combine your last question with mine, which is, who is this year's late bloomer? And my answer to that is the Warriors. 
Last year, it was the Lakers. And then in the playoffs, they really, you know, even even went further than that. And yeah, obviously the Heat when the playoffs came around. But yeah, that's just that's they're like in their own category. They're like, who is going to be the second coming of death riding on a on a on a pale horse into town? That's the Heat. They're, they're not a late bloomer. They're just death. Yeah. And then you had some late late. Uh, fallers in terms of I think Brooklyn and Memphis and and whatever else that and the Clippers with Kawhi getting hurt and PG getting hurt but so I think it's the Warriors this year in terms of 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 their stock really being up and if you were to ask me you know who gets the sixth seed for instance I might say the Warriors if you were to say who from the play-in could pull a Lakers or a Heat and they don't get that sixth seed would they end up at seven or something I'd probably say the Warriors I just think a lot of their indicators they're eight and two in their last 10 games they have like the number one offense in the NBA over that uh, post-Christmas stretch that I was referencing okay it's fifth since Christmas I think it's first since January 1st and their defense has a long way to go I don't know if they'll ever be able to buckle down enough to to get stops consistently and and get there that's obviously kind of the inverse of what the Lakers dealt with but to shoehorn it into answering your question Chris I would say can they see enough from Kaminga Pajemski and maybe Moody that changes their plans because if you would talk to if we had asked this question two months ago I think we would have just felt like this season was going to be a failure and they're headed toward a massive reset mm-hmm. and I don't think that's true anymore but it could become true again if they don't actually become that late riser that I just called them and, and actually just perform in the playoffs or in the play in more like a 500 team which is what they've been. Can I ask, uh, as a twist on this question, I think everything you said is right. Is there a team that isn't the Warriors that you think could use the rest of this year as a catalyst for next year? Because I was trying to think of, like, who's a team that's, like, outside the playoffs that could have, like, a good end-of-the-year run and build towards next year, and I can't really find a good answer. Well, outside of the playoffs... Like, or even like fringe players, it's like, can Orlando like figure some stuff out? I just feel like their issues are more like, can we get a guard who can dribble and like be competent for us? And that's like a bigger issue than what they can solve right now. The Bulls are. I mean, I think Paolo, Paolo being more efficient down the stretch of the season would be big. That's a good check. Right. At a certain point, like his shot creation, it, it it's going to stop becoming like a cool thing that he has that skill set to really, okay. We can all make jokes about how the on-off and, and the nerd stats don't do him justice, but like they don't lie at a certain point, right? So that would be a big one. Um, and then I would probably point to those same two teams, Houston and and Utah, that I that I did before. I would also say I don't know when Shaden Sharp is supposed to be back. I think he's supposed to play before the end of the season. Can we see if that Ant, Simons, Shaden scoot lineup works can those three guys play together so that the blazers don't have to make a decision on that without even any sample size of of anything to to measure it off of so those would probably be my two i guess i would say orlando and and portland but what are you looking at down the the tunnel at for golden state and and the lakers what are you what are you expecting for them from them this summer i'm much more optimistic about the warriors um the, the recent Mark Stein thing about Clay Thompson maybe being on the Magic's radar has had me kind of like wondering like, 
what is coming there and, and what like the end of the year could mean. He did say he expects Clay to be back in that same piece, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. But also, like, Pajemski and Kuminga, it's like, what is this unlock for them for the next year as well? And, like, just even if they lose in the second round or in, like, a really tight first-round series, what does that mean for those guys? Do you get those reps and that experience, that feel? And does that set them up to be just, like, a, a team coming to kill the world next year? The Lakers, I just, I'm just like, I know they've won 7 of 10. They're much better at home than on the road. Three in a row before the All-Star break, all that stuff. LeBron has still hit some insane highs this year. I just don't feel like I know that this team has any forward momentum that I really believe. And that leads me just to wonder, like, okay, what is what is coming in the summer? Like, I if you were to, if you were to tell me I, one of these teams goes through, like, a seismic change in the summer, it feels like the Lakers would be the more likely one to have that not only just be in their DNA, but also feel like it is merited based on how the end of this year goes. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think they're uh, – what a crazy thought. They're going to be number one on all of our offseason radars. The Los Angeles Lakers, we never are thinking or talking about them. Good thing they're going to have some attention. Yeah, they small franchise that desperately needs it, you know. Yeah, they, they're going to really benefit from the, the hype. Yeah. Uh, the other team, Brennan, I thought about trying to talk myself into that I just can't quite do as far as a team that could ride a good end of the year and do something better next year. Why two teams in the East, that's Atlanta and, and Toronto, and I just couldn't quite get myself there. Atlanta was definitely on my list, and I could, I, I think that they have, like, they're getting their offense back on track, and Jalen Johnson missed a lot of time in the middle of the year. He's been back for a while now, and I do think, like, we know the recipe works decently well. I know a lot of people have made this point, but that Boston series was much, much more competitive than it had any business being. And so if they were to be like the number one offense for the last 25 games of the year, would that floor you? No, wouldn't I guess floor just, me. So then yeah. that, that can win some, that can win a play in game that can win a couple playoff games. Cause they literally do it every year. So they almost feel like they don't count though, for that reason. That's why I didn't include them. Yeah. In Toronto, there's just like a lot of questions. I don't think it's going to be Toronto. No. <laughs> there's, also, just, there's also just like a lot of blah. Like as much as the, there's a lot of really good talent in the league right now, and even good talent on like blah teams, I just like look at the bottom of the East in particular. I'm just like, what is going on here? Like who hurt? The, like the Wizards, the Pistons, the Hornets are just like the, the triangle of crap, you know? Mm-hmm. Like just, just a, a bunch of blah. And then in the West, it's like, okay, the Spurs at least have Wembenyama. The Grizzlies, like, they'll get Ja and everyone back next year, and, like, you think they'll just they'll be ready to rock. Portland's got all the youth. So there's not as much, like, dread to me in the West, even if it's going to be hyper-competitive on that. God, that conference next year is going to be fucking bonkers. Holy shit. Um, the East is not that. No, but the West is... I mean, we say that every year, don't we? So No, but it's just, like, right now I look, I look at 1 through 15 in the West... And I could tell myself something positive about every single one of those teams in in a way that I feel I actually believe. I don't know if I fully believe I could say something nice about every team in the East and feel like I can actually believe it, you know? No, no. It's tough times. Remember Marcus Sasser? Pistons really had that and had a moment there with with that at least. All right, we're going to end there on Marcus Sasser. I can't believe I did that. Brendan, we're going to miss you. I'm going to miss you for a week. 
I am, you know, gonna, gonna miss everything about my normal life, but I'm also very much looking forward to, uh, not living it for a week. So I look for I look forward to just hearing you be like I talked to a random guy in a British pub about the merits of Devin Booker's footwork and they're going to be like no it'll be all about like the really the craft of Enzo Fernandez in in midfield and won't I won't be bothering anybody with with hoop I'm going to be you know what do you guys think of Potch all that stuff that's that's <laughs> all I'm you, really focused on not at all not at all worried about Yusuf Nurkic's on off rating for like a week it's really good for your mental health I think personally yes because the games also take place in the middle of the night there so even like I I'm literally boxed out of being able to yeah. care even if I want to you know so yeah looking forward to your t- to updates about the Drew Eubanks Isaiah Stewart situation too just take it from Phoenix PD at this point. They're they're handling all further matters. Yeah. All right, we're gonna end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. We'll be back next week. I'll be here with Wes Goldberg, State of the East, Miami Heat check in, other fun things with Wes. So please tune in for that. Brennan will be back the week after that. Please subscribe or review if you haven't already. Check out our friends at Thrive Fantasy. Use our link below as well from our friends at Homage. Buy or sell something nice. And hopefully, I mean, Brennan, I mean, they're, they're, they have the most comfortable T-shirts you could get. Brennan could wear one on the plane and just be out of sleep as he's as he's flying across the Atlantic. But we'll tune in next week with more Just Basketball. Enjoy the hoops. The stretch run is here, folks.